When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey gang, Red Hills Rancher here with a special episode of Ranching Reboot. A lot of you have had questions about just who CK is and what's her story and why she's on the show and what does she have to do with regenerative agriculture. And you know, over the last two months, a lot of those questions have come up and we thought that this would be a fantastic way to get those questions answered so some of y'all could get to know CK. I may not be the best person to interview her, so I turned that task over to my lovely lady, Tanya. So without getting into too many more words, this is a really great episode. It's heartfelt and it's a very inspiring story. And I hope you'll stick around to the end and give it a listen. See you on the other side. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ranching Reboot. Today we have a special host who's going to be interviewing me. Her name is Tanya. Tanya, how are you doing? I'm good, CK. Thanks for having me. Um, we have been listening to the show for a few weeks now, and everybody seems to kind of wonder who CK is exactly. And we've talked a little bit about how to get that out. And um, Brian and I had a conversation the other night, thought it would be really interesting for me to come on and interview and ask questions because I'm a question asker. And I, mm -hmm. uh, I would love to know a little bit more about you and to help our listeners um, understand who you are. Right. So, um, I don't know. Let's go ahead and, and yeah. just start what just I'm start. doing now. Yeah. Let's, um, so, so I, I just kind of want to set this up almost like an agenda of like how this, how this conversation is going to go since we're kind of reversing the tables and you're interviewing me who I'm usually interviewing the guest with Brian. Um, so I want to talk about like what I'm doing now and where I'm at in the world. I also really want to talk about something that um, that I don't really share in my professional setting. And I really don't share it in my circle unless you're really, really close with me, like my husband and um, a few other people who I've broken down that I could trust this with you um, is my, my childhood, which is not, it's a very unique situation that I grew up with. Um, but I, I do want to preface it with, preface it with this is um, I am not a victim of my circumstances. I am who I chose to become because of my circumstances. So I really don't want any pity from anyone. I, uh, I just want to share who I am as a thinker and why I think I've evolved into this world of ranching and, and the profession that I am um, so that my listeners who are trying to trust me with interviewing them and them sharing their vulnerable stories can understand the vulnerable things that are in my life as well. So tell us a little bit about where you are right now then. You want yeah. to start there? Um, yeah. What do you do in your career and, and outside of Ranching Reboot? What does CK do every day? Yeah, yeah. So 
um, in the past five years, I've lived in four different states and two different countries. So, so right now I'm living in Manhattan, Kansas. Um, I'm, I'm a native from California who married a native Idahoan who wanted to go to vet school. And so I, um, right now I'm supporting my husband hundred percent financially so that he can live his dream, which I believe he has a true calling for being a food animal veterinarian. Uh, so we decided to, we were living in California when we first got married and then we got into vet school in the Caribbean in St. Kitts. Um, and then we deferred for about a year before we went because I wanted to try living in Idaho, uh, before we went to the Island so that we can decide once vet school's done, where are we going to settle down? And so, uh, so I lived in Idaho for a while and that's where we're going to decide to settle down because California just doesn't pencil out when you're trying to be a business owner or raiser. Right, anywhere at all in any way. Yeah. So um, it's a beautiful place to live with as in regards to the environment and the climate and, and this access to different types of landscapes. Um, but it's not a really fun place to, to raise a family and then try to be a prosperous businessman or woman. Uh, right. Yeah. So Idaho is where your husband's from. Is that right? Yeah. So he's from, he's from Southern Idaho. He has uh, he's so he's one of of nine siblings. So he has eight si siblings, four wow. sisters, and four brothers, and was homeschooled. And they're all very very successful people. I admire them so much. They're like homesteaders as well. So I've actually learned a lot about self sufficiency self sufficiency through them, and just they really are able to to work off of the land and provide for themselves. So it's it's been really fun to be part of their family. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my job now with, with pasture map, uh, I've been doing for the past almost four year over four years now. And, uh, my role has changed quite a bit from when I first started, I first started as kind of a contractor to help get ranchers to buy those subscriptions. Now my title is head of growth. And I, I really, I really like that title that I have because my job is really to contribute to the growth of our, my ranchers businesses. Like we have to figure out what's working well and what can we improve on. And I, I really do see that as, is um, it's a vulnerable thing to show up to, to someone's company, even if we're just a software system that helps with their, their management for the grazing and the herd records and other things um, to just admit that anything's wrong, right? It's really hard to say that. For and sure. so you have this tattoo on your foot, Tanya, can you share what it says? I have two. Do you have two? Okay. Yes. So one says choose to find the beauty in everything. Yeah. And the other one says no problems, only solutions. Yes. And so that is 100% what I do is I, I tell these ranchers, we have no problems. We only want to find you solutions. And so when I saw that tattoo on your foot, when I first met you, I was like, I love this girl already. Like we're going to be, we're going to be fine. Um, so, so it's, it's been, it's been an interesting five years. I'm really excited to actually settle down and, and, and plant roots, um, and, and not live in so many different states. So other states that we lived in was Texas. And then when we lived in the Caribbean, uh, 
it just was not fun. People think, oh, that's really, that's really awesome, CK. You got to live on this Caribbean island that really is picturesque. It is where, where people go to travel to destination vacations. Um, but culturally and economically, it just was, it was actually like a third world country. Uh, so they didn't really have reliable water or, or like any kind of energy infrastructure. So like we we were always worried about our power and our water going off. So we'd have to make sure we sometimes shower before we weren't going to have water. I'd have to have like fresh water of jugs um, at, at the ready, even, even not even in hurricane season, that was just like a thing. You had to have fresh water and also potable water so that you can use the plumbing. And, um, and then also you just being, I guess I want to say I'm a country girl. I love the wide open spaces and I felt trapped. I felt like I really did get the Island fever and also my career with Pastor Map had so much potential for growth and I felt kind of stuck behind that potential because I was landlocked and I wasn't able to travel to where some of these big ranches were that I really wanted to help improve with. Uh, so, so that's like what I've been doing this last five years. Um, with, and- with, about, with talking about being landlocked yeah. And, and not being able to help with pasture maps. So where, when you came back to the States, after you guys moved back, you moved to Texas. Yeah. Then, yeah. So that was and, when the company sold that we sold based out of California originally. And the, the company had been acquired by a Texas um, buyer. And so soil works, natural capital um, owns pasture map now. And I moved to Texas to keep my job basically because I was nervous that they were going to give me the axe uh which that was never really a concern that was that was me projecting off of my own insecurities they were like CK we were never planning on getting rid of you like we could not like and and I did get that feedback from my ranchers too they were like Pashmap would not work without you CK like you you maintain the relationships and and you fight for us and so for sure um I heard that so that was where yeah question with that was going was when you moved back to the States and you moved to Texas, did you, from there, did you start traveling around a lot to different ranches at yeah. that point or did you do most of your work from Texas? So that's when I started going, well, cause so Texas is huge. Like it, it took, it can take like eight hours or five hours going one way in any direction. And so that is when I started finally just going and doing ranching visits and not asking if, if, uh, if that like for, not for permission, but, but I was like, hey, like Birdwell and Clark, uh, they're having, they, they have some questions getting their new cowboys onboarded and they want me to train them. I'm going to go spend a day with them and like train these, these cowboys to, to use their phone for the app. And I think once I started doing that and then I went up and visited with, with you and Brian one weekend, um, you know, those have been my best connections with, with how Pashmap should work and is working on ranches and, uh, and actually and be being, there and build that relationship. With yes. People. Because, you know, I meet, I meet thousands of ranchers every year and, and like, you know, I will give you the energy that you give me and I'm, I'm not going to ask for more than what you're, you're willing to share, but I also just don't, um, it's, it's once you meet someone in person and you actually see uh, that you can have like almost like an offside conversation about, you know, this is really my start with ranching and this is this is what what has scared me and this is what keeps me up at night. When you really break those those walls down that you really realize that like there's a lot of impact that happens with the, the ranching community that's not just 
uh, mechanical. Right. For yeah. sure. Well, I, you know, I think I remember some things when, when Brian first started using pasture maps and, mm -hmm. and, and trying to figure out ways to make it work better for the ranch. I know a lot of the, the problems he had, you guys addressed personally. Yeah, we did. And, yeah. And without, without that function, you know, it would have worked for him. And without that connection, you guys would have never got that feedback. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like there's, there's ranchers who use PashMap that I've never given us feedback or wanted to use us. I call them my self-sufficient ranchers, but that actually probably is not the case. It's maybe they just don't feel welcome enough or to, to say anything. And I really would, I would encourage you to always, if there's something that's not working, complain, complain to me and I will figure it out to get working because I've had people. And I think last summer in particular, there's a lot of sinking issues with Ryan, Brian's ranch, uh, with their herd, your herdsman and she would just text me like ck i was in the bull pasture and this the sink it didn't sink like all my subdivisions are gone so i'd have to call our engineers and be like hey can you can you fix this and, and we did and and i wouldn't have known if she had not said anything she would have just struggled with thinking that passion map wasn't going to work and there was no there was no one to ask for help yeah and i think that's a service that people want to have but yeah. don't always know don't always know how to use or don't always know how to ask for or don't always feel comfortable, you know, maybe quote overextending their exactly. welcome and not wanting to bug you. But something that I learned at a pretty young age was that the squeaky wheel gets the grease and people say that offside, but it's true. You know, it's sometimes so you have to speak up when it's uncomfortable yeah. and, and then you get that. And so it's really, that's really, I think an awesome way that you are, are trying to connect so close with your customers. Yeah. I think that is what has made PashMap so successful is is maintaining really realizing that relationships are the number one thing to to driving a business um because you're going to get that retention you're going to get the loyalty because you're being loyal to your customer as well yeah so yeah yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about your childhood from there? Do you yeah, want to yeah, kind yeah. Of tell us yes. <laughs> so a I little bit about where where you came from. Yeah. So I I kind of mapped it out. In so I have segments of my childhood, which people are like, "You're crazy to so get you had segments." But no, I had segments. I, so I had you know stages of my childhood that really impact who I am today. And I I wrote down this this quote from Abraham Lincoln, just as a reminder, it says, you know, we can complain because rose bushes have thorns or rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. And I think that 100% is, is my outlook on life is I would not appreciate the good I have in my life today without the bad. And I think it really taught me resiliency and looking at things and, and, and to be honest, going back to that, there are no problems, only solutions. Like what is the answer? Like if, and, and I, you know, whenever I'm doing decision-making with my ranches about like, how do they want to approach changing things or transitioning from conventional to regenerative? Um, I say, let's, let's do one thing at a time. Let's understand getting this part down and then let's add a layer to it. Um, and like, let's just, let's problem, let's solve the easiest problem you have where we can, we can easily agree on the solution. Um, so, so with that said, um, I, so I was born in, in Bakersfield, California. And so if anyone knows the area, Bakersfield has a huge opioid, um, epidemic 
and especially back in in the 90s i think was even worse than it is today um so a lot of low-income people and poverty and and just drugs <laughs> you know in my mind dr like i just i know a lot of people in bakersfield that who are still their lives are ruined because of drugs. And I'm like, how do we break this cycle? And I think I, I'm the person I'm the one, I'm the one who broke that cycle. Um, so, so I was, I was born accidentally. <laughs> so I was not, I was not one of those births that were planned. Um, my mom accidentally got pregnant with me with, with, um, her, her drug dealer. Yeah. So I was like very much not a plan. So, um, I know that that's going to be shocking to people who hear this. And I just want to say that was just my life. So, so I, so I, I ended up, you know, being raised by my birth mom and my birth father never really recognized me as his child, which, you know, like this happens, right? This, this is, this is the real life. Like this happens to a lot of people. And pe my mom was a single mother on drugs. And so we, I grew up, homeless for the first seven years of my life in and out of homes um i remember at one point we lived we lived in my mom's car and we were bathing in in like one of an, an irrigation canal um to, to take to take baths and i also and you know i remember her stealing like produce like like cabbage and carrots from like nearby fields so that we could eat and and to be honest like as a child like it didn't bother me like it was just like that was life like it, you know I, I wasn't like oh woe is me like my mom you know is, is has all these issues and she can't even take care of her child like she she really did try to but it was always drugs controlled her decision making and so she just was she was not a suitable mother she she had um, a lot, I have a lot of other siblings with, with my mom and she, she really didn't raise any of us and we've all kind of turned out okay, just to be honest. Um, so, so with that, eventually the state got involved and removed, removed my, my mom from my care and I ended up living with family members, um, my grandparents at one point in time. And then for a really long period of time, I lived with my aunt and uncle. And uh, I really thought that, that that was gonna be my saving grace in life was going to live with my aunt and uncle who seemed to have it all together and were very religious people. Um, and, and they also took in my younger sister too. So I was really excited to be with her. And it really just, um, it was a really bad, eight years of my life from seven to 15. It was so something I have shared on social media is that I was a child of violence. And so am I scaring you, Tanya? No. Okay, good. I, I, no, you're not scaring me. I'm just okay. listening. I'm just listening. Yeah. So, so I went to live with my aunt and uncle and I stayed, I was there for eight years until I was 15. And so I, I was actually a really, a really serious child. Um, I don't really know why. I think it was just because of my circumstances. Like I just, well, I, I, didn't, I had to survive, right? <laughs> you said you had a lot of other siblings. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and you were with your sisters. So w before you moved to be with your aunt, did you mm -hmm. spend a lot of time with your siblings? And were you older or younger? Did you have younger or yeah, older siblings? Yeah, yeah. So I had, I had two older brothers and then I was the third child of my mother's. And then I had a younger brother and a younger sister. And then 
I had a, a younger, another younger brother who I've never met. I know it sounds so bad. Like this, like this is me laughing because I know it sounds bad. And that's, that's why I do not share this story. And then my, just, you know, yeah, it sounds, sounds bad is, is, is a lot. And I don't, I don't no, it's I don't okay. want to talk over you or talk over yeah. your story, but this is your story and this is yeah. what has made you you. So, you know, bad or bad or good as far as how it happened, it is what it is. And, and yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I had those siblings. I was really close with my older brothers, to be honest, and my younger sister. I, I think when my, cause my sister went to live with my aunt and uncle before I did, I was pretty devastated from losing her. Um, and my, my older brothers were, were teenagers. So they were getting into that phase where like, they didn't care about their little sister anymore. So I was like, I really want to go be with my sister. Like, I don't want her to be alone. And, and that was like, I'm going to go live with my uncle and uncle and with my sister. And then also my aunt and uncle had three of their own kids. So it was like, you know, I, I do think about, you know, there's more than one, there's more than two, there's multiple sides to a story. And I think what I'm going to share is like, I, now that I'm older, I realize that my aunt and uncle probably signed up for more than they, they asked for. <laughs> and it right. was really stressful. And they probably had some resentment for my birth mom and my birth father. And, and to be honestly, having the, the, the responsibility of taking care of me, who was to be honest, always missing my mom. Um, and, and just a different, I was just a serious child. So it was probably hard to figure out how to love me too. Um, but so I live with my aunt and uncle, they had just converted to, to being Christians. And so, so growing up with them, very devout Christians, we were, um, prominent members of our church community. And, you know, we, we actually cleaned the church every week. We did the bus route every week. We never, I, you know, the eight years I lived there, I remember us never missing a Sunday or Wednesday service. Like it was just it wasn't something that we did. And I remember just getting really like really into being a Christian and being a devout person and like getting into my biblical studies and learning how to study the Bible and then practicing what I preach or what is preached to me. And then, um, but then, then we would go home and, and then it just, you, they turned off um, they turned off that, I don't know, what is it? They turned off that characteristic. Mask. Yes. Mask. And we would get home and it was like, Carissa, like, make sure you get the house clean. Um, I like, they truly believed that women were designed to do women's work, like inside house cleaning and cooking. And that was their role. Like, I remember my aunt telling me that and men so responsibilities were outside doing like the yard work and, and like, so basically putting genders to, to duties. Right. But I, I thought it was like, she would tell me that. And then I would end up having to do both. I would have to do all the cooking and not the cooking, but all the cleaning I'd help with cooking, all the chores, all of everyone's laundry, which there were seven of us. I would have to do all of the laundry, mow the lawn, weed eat. I would know how to 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 mix gas, to put in a weed eater. I, like I knew how to like prime, I was eight years old, right? I would know how to prime it and, and do the choke so that you can start a weed eater and I could weed eat or we re like a string a weed eater. 
and and like I could chop wood, I can stack it, like I could stack it very nicely because if I didn't fold the laundry the right right way, like you know how you see do you is there a particular way that you fold towels? Like there's like the pretty salon way of folding towels, right? And then there's the ugly beach towel kind of like right. that does not that does not store well. And I I remember not folding it the right way and my aunt being pissed and, and like making me refold all the towels. And, and so, so it really started with, um, emotional violence, which, I, which I know some people were like, Oh, what is that? And it's like, I was dehumanized as a child. And my, I was not only seen as just like a paycheck for them because they were drawing wages from, from the state to take care of me. So I think that was like, cause I kept asking, why are you even having me live with you guys? Like you guys hate me. Like, like I am not like, I, I am not treated like the way that you treat their actual kids. And I just, I, I just remember that. And then I remember we, we show up as these Christians and, <laughs> and when we come home, we're not Christians. And, and I remember finally, I think just getting, getting, uh, uh, brave enough to, to challenge that, that thought. And I remember it was, it was like, cause I had to do chores before I got on the school bus every morning, which was like 7 AM. And, um, and I remember just being frustrated because all of the other kids got to like, just, just sleep in and hang out and do whatever they wanted. And, and then I've like had missed taking the trash out cause I had just run out of time. And I, and then I remember coming home and she was just waiting to like scream at me. And I remember like, I don't understand like why I have to do everything and then you say women's work is for inside stuff and men's work is for outside, but your son, like you don't have him do anything. Like I have to do all of his work. And I think that was the first time that she hit me. And, and, and then I realized, um, cause I had been submissive for a really long time to her. Like, I remember if I would just, if I would just shut up and sit down and just do everything that she'll want me to do, then, then maybe she'll like me. Maybe, maybe she'll accept me. Um, and it just, it was never that she just always saw me as, I think, resentful for, for having me in her care. And then she always, um, I don't know. I think she always was, she was always thinking that I was going to end up like my, my birth mom. <laughs> and so it would frustrate me because she would tell me that all the time. It's like, you're just like your mom. You're just like your mom. And, and it just like, it devastated me. Cause I was like, I don't want to be anything like my mom. Like my mom is not have her life together. Like she's still like out there doing those bad things. And, and it just would be like, what, why do I, what do I do to make you think that? And it was always just because I couldn't follow the laundry ride or I didn't do the chores, uh, fast enough. And, um, I remember we, we finally started trying to do counseling together and I, I told the counselor, like, I don't really want to do this if she's not going to commit to doing this with me. And we finally sat down and he said, I want you guys both to say some one positive thing about each other. And, and then, so she had to say, she was, she was really able to say a positive thing about all of her kids first. And then when she came on to me the positive thing she had to say about me was like, she's, and it wasn't like it was Carissa does the dishes really well. <laughs> like, wow. yeah. Um, how old were you at this point? I was, it was, it was, uh, I was 14, 13 or 14. Okay. And so it was at that point that I realized 
Um, so animals have, you know, it's either fight or flight, right? So, so I was, I did run away a couple of times and, and she knew, like, I was like, I just, I miss my brothers and my mom. And like, she had removed me completely from my actual birth family. And I was only allowed to interact with, with her and, and her three kids and her husband in the church. And so I, I just like, felt like she cut off this piece of me and I wasn't allowed access to it. And so I think that's what her and I were like fighting for internally. And maybe I wish I could, I wish, you know, when you look back at things, I wish I could have communicated that better to her, but like, I was a kid, like kids don't know how to communicate. Like they're trying to figure their lives out. And I remember, I just, I remember at that point, um, because I had, I had said like, Hey, like, I want you to like, either just put me in foster care, send me to back to like my grandparents or I want to be emancipated. <laughs> and I just like, I just, I like, we cannot work well together. Like we just can't do this. So like, we just need to, to leave each other. And I remember like, she was just like, I'm not going to give you that. Like, I'm not going to give you that happiness. And, um, and so I said, you know what, like fight or flight if, if I can't fly, <laughs> then I'm going to fight. And I remember I started with, uh, doing it in like, like I call it civil disobedience. So I did it in ways that, that wasn't going to be physically violent. And so, so my thing was I stopped going to counseling. Like I refused. I was like, if you're not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. And if you're not going to show up the way that I'm showing up, I'm definitely not going to do it. And so, uh, so that was the first thing. And then we had, she had scheduled me a counseling appointment. She had told me that morning Hey, I don't want you to catch the best home because we're going to come pick you up to take you to counseling to, to fix me. Like I, only I was fixing myself. Right. And I remember just like, you know what, I'm just going to get on the bus and go home. Like I'm not going to counseling. I have told her that I'm not doing it unless she does it with me. And I think that was when the physical violence got really bad um, because my uncle had come home and, and he was very much scared of my aunt um because he had tried to stick up for me a couple of times and she had just beat him down like with her words like you're you're she's buffaloing you she has you manipulated i remember is what she said and uh so he got shut up real quick and he was like he's not gonna fight this and but i remember my uncle coming home from that and he's like you have to go carissa come on you got to go to counseling like this is the only way your aunt's gonna be happy and I was like, I'm not doing it. Like, I'm not doing it. Like, what is the point of this? And he dragged me. He tried to drag me down the hallway out of the room. I remember grabbing the, like the baseboards and the walls to like, you know, brace myself and hold like, so he couldn't force me out of the house because he was like trying to fire him and carry me to counseling. And I was like, no, like you can't force me to do this and I'm not going to. Um, and I, I remember, I mean, I ended up kicking him in between the legs and I, cause I remember that was the only way I can get him off of me from dragging me out of the house. And I remember that's when he was like, okay, I'm done. And then my aunt came home and, and beat the crap out of me, like beat the crap out of me with a belt. She was just so mad. And at that point, uh, I wasn't willing to get the police involved or anything. Um, I really didn't want to open the, that can of worms. Right. I, I really wanted to protect her still. <laughs> Do you feel like you had any support outside 
of um, them at all. You know, you mentioned the church. And, yeah, and that's a good I question. You were, were you in school? So I was, I was in school um, and I was in public school and I was, you know, that was my safe haven and I was in church. I did share it with the church because the church was actually the one doing the counseling and I did share it with them. And I think it, and I, to this day, I still have a problem with organized religion um, because I think because my aunt and uncle were just so heavily supportive of the church, like not only like as like um, members, but like they actually like the services they provided, the, they did the school bus route. They, they also cleaned the church every week. And um, my, my uncle was a deacon as well. So he was like high, highly revered in the church. And so the church just never believed me. And, and so it was just always like, this kid is, this kid is messed up and it's because, yes. And it's because of her background that I can't trust her word over this Bible thumping lady. Um, and so, and so my, so then when I realized that the, the church had betrayed me and, and I realized it's not, it's not Jesus who betrayed me. It's the management of the church. Like it's a hundred percent a management was a management issue. And I think they finally discovered because they ended up getting burned down the road by this family, um, with some stuff, some scandal, but, um, but then I realized, okay, I have to put on the suit of armor with the church. The church is not going to help me. So I thought if the church isn't there to help me and they actually see what's happening, um, because like you could see how she treated me compared to her kids, um, right? And and I thought there's no way the school system's gonna help me. Like no, like I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna get them involved because it's just gonna end up hurting me more, and then I won't have a safe haven. And it was it was finally, um. So yeah, so so I started fighting. I just I decided I wasn't gonna go to church anymore, and I told her my reasoning was, um we're living a lie. We are not real Christians. And if you expect me to show up and be fake at church just so that you can look good, I'm not going to do it. And so I, I remember, I think that was a real, the real, the real winner that, that made her honestly hate me. Um, and so the, so then she, we had one more, you know, cause I was challenging her authority now. Like I was like, I'm going to question everything she does because she won't let me out. Then I'm going to make her life a living hell. Um, and, and, and yes, I realized that that is not the answer, but that is what I thought no, I had to do. I think, I think that was exceptionally brave for a young woman of that age to not have support and to be able to stand up to somebody who would have been scary to you. I'm sure. Yeah. Just, able to have the courage to do that i mean i think yeah i don't know right or wrong i don't know that there was a right answer in that situation but what you did was brave yeah yeah so so you know we we had these more these challenging matches and um and then like one day was it was a really bad altercation um so she like we had this leather strap belt that we would i mean i would get spanks and like they were deserved spanks for lying, but she would beat me with this belt. Um, and it was one of those old barber chair, you know, that they sharpen 
those thick yeah. ass leather straps and it had a metal part of the at the end and it had holes in it for for aerodynamics and i'm laughing because you know i survived it and but i remember her beating the crap out of me up and down my back on my neck um i tried to run out of the house to like get away from her and she was chasing me around the house and she would slam the doors um, in front of me and bolt them locked so that I couldn't escape to get on the bus that morning. And, and when she had bolted that lock, she grabbed me by the hair and pulled me onto this office desk. And I mean, I don't know. I remember it like it was yesterday. Like she, she choked the shit out of me and I thought I was going to die. Like I really like, I thought I was going to die. And I remember her daughter finally, because usually what the kids would do when stuff like this happened, they just go run to the back bedroom and like try to stay out of it because they just knew better. You didn't get between the, this happening because then it would happen to them. Um, and then I remember the daughter being like, mom, stop, like, stop. You're, you're like, this is really bad. Stop. And so finally, I think she like realized what she, like how bad it was. And she let go of me. And I just, I remember hearing the bus cause they had those, those air brakes. And I remember stopping to wait for us. And I remember, like flagging it down, racing to get on the bus and the bus driver. I mean, he didn't say anything, which I thought now I'm looking, I'm like, he should have said something because he's supposed to be a mandated reporter. He should have freaking said something. And I remember he just not get involved with it. And I'm like crying on the bus. And then my friends, um, my friends come on the next stops and they're like, what the hell happened to you? And they see the welts and they see the scratches and they see that like, I'm been roughed up. And it was, um, uh, my friend who, who saw what happened because I was, I still at this point was not willing to like call CPS, um, or the police. Like I just, I had seen with my birth mom and had been removed from the family. And I've seen with my other men that my mom have had in a rela relationship, what the police can do to families. And so for me, it was like, uh, I don't want to open that can of worms. Like, I really do not want to ruin her life. My goal is I just want to be, I want to be removed from this home. Like I, I need to be out of this situation. And so, uh, it was, it wasn't until my best friend, Brianne, uh, she went to the school and, and, and told them, she was like, my best friend just got her butt kicked by her aunt and we, we need to do something about this. And I, I remember the counselor calling me in and interviewing me. And I remember begging her, I remember begging her, please, please don't say anything. Please don't do anything. Like it'll be fine. Like I can handle this. And I was in junior high. Um, the policeman came in and he was devastated. I remember it making him cry. And I remember like, that was my moment of like, wow, this is, this is really serious. If I'm making a grown man in uniform cry, like it is bad. And so CPS came filed charges. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the social system. It's just, it doesn't work. Uh, they really don't have the best interest for a child. So they end up having to send me home um, because it's her word to get a word against mine. So they end up just sending me home with my uncle and my uncle had to tell him my aunt that CPS came and then she ended up beating me again. Um, and then at that point I was like, well, this can of worms is open or this Pandora box is open and you can't put Pandora back in the box. And so I, I finally just was like the next morning was like, yeah, well, she found out that it happened and she, she beat me again. And I think my aunt was like, how do like, this is crazy. Like in how, like she, she couldn't deal with it. And I mean, I didn't want to deal with it either. So she basically 
kept me in my room. If, if I wasn't just me going to school the next few months, I had to go straight to my room and stay in it. Like I lived in my room, like kind of almost like a prisoner. Um, and of course, like she would feed me and stuff, but I was, I was not worth even doing chores anymore at this point. So I was like, okay, things are happening. Um, and then my, my aunt made me go to church one Sunday. Well, she tried to make me go every Sunday. And I remember just still being like, this is, I'm just not going to show up. So I end up going, but I remember just like not doing anything. And then I remember her just getting so mad at me because actually, I don't even remember the reason, but I remember it was a Pollock Sunday. So it was about something about a dish or something. And I remember just like bawling. Like I was just upset with, with my life. And so I remember like trying to just go sit in our vehicle and cry it out alone because I didn't want to do it with any of the church members. And my aunt had to go to the store to get potlucks. And I remember her throwing me out of the car on the ground and saying, you know, get the freak out of here. And then I ran away. And uh, so I ran away, called my birth mom to come pick me up. She she did. And uh, so I was, run I was a runaway for two days. And then when I came, my, my grandpa made me go back. He was like, you can't just run away and stay a runaway. Like there's consequences for this Carissa. And I was like, okay. So he drove me back and, um, and then my aunt just like wanted and believed that I ran away to, to my mom. She thought I, I ran away to, so this was her next line of, of attack. She thought I ran away to be with a boy. <laughs> Uh, so she was trying to smear my name and I was like, okay, whatever. I'll let you believe that. Cause it doesn't even affect me at this point, whatever the police end up getting involved. And, and the guys were, the police were really nice. They're like, we, we get it. You've come from a hard life. Um, they're like, there's, there's a lot of not good things going on in your life, but we can't remove you from the home because you're being fed and you have a place to sleep. Right. Oh Yeah. And at this point, I, w I had been playing the violin for a few years. And I remember the police officer saying, hey, I also play the violin. Um, and so we like for me, I felt like I connected with him on, for, with something that wasn't like traumatizing. And I was like, yeah, I really love it. And he's like, you should, you should put your energy into the violin thing. Like you should do that. And so I ended up, I did, I ended up doing that. And I ended up like being... Um, like first chair, which, which you guys probably listening won't understand what that means, but that means like you're number one, you're the best violinist out of like 50. And I remember just always striving to be first chair. I was, I was always invited to do, um, like the honors, uh, kind of events for, for orchestras. And then I actually ended up being part of Sequoia Youth Symphony and we ended up traveling. And this is after I, I finally got out of my aunt situation, but I actually ended up traveling in Europe, part of a symphony, which is like my top 10 best experience of my life. Right. Wow. So it was like, amazing. but that advice from that police officer, I mean, it was huge. It was like, Hey, like you need to focus all this negative energy into something that's positive. And I, and I truly believe that I think to break the cycle like you need to focus your energy and not dwell on the negative. And I finally, I finally figured it out through my music. Um, and, and that was for me like very therapeutic. Like it was like, finally there's hope in my life because at this point I was, I was contemplating, 
I was contemplating some pretty horrible things to do to myself, um, to be honest, because I didn't see a way out. Like I didn't think, I didn't think that they were going to let me decide if I could be happy. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And so let, let me just wrap up this bad part of my life with my aunt because it's going to get good guys. I promise. So, <laughs> so my aunt, um, she kind of got, she was getting mad that one, I was liking straight A's. Everyone loved me at school. And then I was getting really good at this violin thing. And, and I, I don't mean to project, but it was like, I was, I was the problem kid in, in her, with her five kids who was also doing the best. So it's like, everyone kind of question is like, it doesn't add up. Like, how can you say Carissa is this terrible person when she's getting straight A's, everyone likes her at her school and she's doing these phenomenal things with her violin, you know? And so I think yeah. people are finally, finally, the wool was getting taken off of their, their eyes. Um, and I think she was finally like seeing, seeing that. So she was really still out to prove that I was this terrible person. Um, and so we, she ended up, we ended up having like another altercation because she just, she just didn't like me. Um, and anything I said or did, she would pick apart and it was frustrating. Like I would, I would have to bottle up my emotions and then I would explode. And then we'd end up these screaming matches and, um, and then it would end up in, she would be physical with me. And my thing is the police officers, when they had to come to visit me, when I ran away, they told me, I just want to tell you now, if you ever end up hitting your aunt, you will go to juvenile hall. And I remember my aunt being in the room when they said that. And I really think that they planted that seed of thought for her. Yeah. Like your face right now, you're like, oh, I know what's going to happen now. Wow. So, so my aunt, she ended up being the crap out of me again. And and then she knew I was going to go to school and tell on her, right? Because I thought if I keep, if we just keep reporting this, eventually they'll remove me from the home, right? And, right. and so I finally, this point I was in high school and I finally did it. And I actually had a competent counselor and her name is Mrs. Beely. And she finally stuck her neck out for me. And she took pictures of, of what happened around my neck. And I remember my orchestra instructor, she said, what happened to your neck? Did a cat did a cat get, get to your neck? And I just remember like crying because at this point I was like, man, like I just don't want to have this conversation with you. Um, and then, so she sent me to the office, Mrs. Beely got involved, called a police officer and he documented what happened. So what happens with this situation, the police officer has to get my side of the story and my aunt's side of the story. And so my aunt lied and said that I hit her. I knew I, and, and I like, I, I know that she tells people I hit her. And I think almost she believes it because she's told this story, this lies for so many years. Um, but I remember like her choking me that morning. Uh, and I just remember I can't hit her. I can't hit her because that would be the scariest thing ever is go to juvenile hall to go to jail. Right. And so I remember the police officer going and taking my aunt's side of the story. And then I just went on for my, with my school day and went to, to my classes. And then I remember getting, um, one of my teachers getting called and they're like, Hey, Carissa, like, um, they need you to go to the office. I remember getting called in the office. The police officer takes me and arrests me and, and takes me to juvenile hall. And I ended up staying the night in juvenile hall for, I think, assault or something like that. Um, right. Fucking wild. 
Sorry. Brian. <laughs> Brian's going to have to bleep that out. But oh, maybe, maybe he will. Maybe he will. That's fine if he doesn't, but uh, I just don't want anyone like, sorry, but it is wild. Um, it was a prudent spot for it. It was a prudent spot. I've got wild stories too. I'll tell you someday. You won't feel alone and all. Yeah, this. Well, I, so this is the thing story. is everyone has a history and like, it's, it's like very much a thing where we, we have such shame for our history and we don't want to talk about it, but I think it really develops on who we are as a person. And I think, I think one thing just to, to admit mm. is I know I am, I have a high emotional intelligence. Like I can sit in a room and if I know something's going wrong, I can, I am, I'm probably the first person to see it. And a lot of times I end up mediating this, I'm like either I stop it or I mediate it, or I go and talk to that person in private and be like, Hey, I know I could, t- I could tell that by the way he talked to you or she talked to him that upset you. And I don't think that was cool. I just want, you to know, I hear you. I see you. I don't, I don't want you to think that that didn't go noticed. Um, yeah, and that's not something that just everybody can do. Some people are great at that and some people are terrible at it. And it's yeah, yeah. It's something that not only I think you come with, but you learn and the yeah. situation you've been in, that's something you've honed, certainly yeah. honed. Yeah. So so I so I said the night in Juvenile Hall and that was that was that was an experience, right? So it's so funny because you know some people will ask like randomly net like like the last question is like never have i ever and like they'll just expect no one to have done this and so sometimes people are like never have i ever gotten arrested and gone to jail and i'm like oh yeah i've done that like i'm such a badass like i went to jail when i was a kid and it's like totally (laughs) i mean it's it's i'm like oh it's not really a good story and that's usually how i say it. it was like it was like a misunderstanding but i remember like you know, the next step after you get jail, then you get charged with like assault or, or whatever you get charged with, you get on probation. So I'm like, okay, I'm on probation. Then you have to meet with a probation officer. And I just remember being just like so confused. And I remember my first meeting with him, my aunt took me because she was so smug about it. I remember she was just so proud that she finally caught me. Like she finally put me in this chokehold and I could not resist like being deemed this terrible person. And I remember having my meeting with a probation officer, it was just me and him. And I remember sitting down. And so he was just like, he was going probably overloaded, just going through it. Like, okay, this is what we're doing. With and I was like, I have a question. He goes, yeah. And I was like, how am I able to get charged with something that, that didn't happen? And I was like, I was like, I, I realized that I spent the night in juvenile hall for hitting my aunt. And I was like, but like, where's my due process? I remember asking that. And I said, yeah, right. Fucking smartest thing I ever did. Like, because that is what got my, me, my, my ticket out of jail. Cause he was like, oh, you want to contest this? Like, you're not agreeing as a mission of guilt that you did this. I was like, no, like I've, I told the police officer this whole time that I never did it. And then my, you know what my problem was is I said that I did not want to press charges onto her. And when he asked her, do you want to press charges on me? Because she had said that I hit her. She was like, Oh hell yeah. I, I want to teach her a lesson. Like he's like, she, I think she wanted to scare me straight. Yeah. So, um, so it, I mean, I guess it would have worked if I had not asked that question. Right. That's pretty amazing. And you were, you were at 15 at this yeah, time. I was 15. You said, that's a, yeah. That's freaking amazing that a 15 year old had the insight to do that. You know, like, I, I really, it wasn't, I do think it was divine provenation. Like, I really do think that the Lord 
and I'm not, I really am not a religious person. Like I'm actually a terrible Christian guys. So sorry for that. But I do think that he finally was like, this is my way to help you. Like, this is my way to help you. And, and then, so my aunt had to go back into the office with a guy. And I remember it being like a minute and then she comes out of it pissed and the guy, the probation officer comes out and he goes, uh, she wants to drop charge, drop the charges. Like she's dropping the charges. Yeah. Her aunt's dropping the charges. Yeah. Because she got caught up in a lie. Right. Right. Um, so after that happened, I, uh, I went to live with, with one of my school teachers who had kind of gotten wind of what was happening. And she had reached out to my aunt and said, Hey, like, I know that you guys are having an issue. If you ever like, just want to give her to me, you can. <laughs> and uh-huh. yeah, so this is my journey to act like this is where it started. So I went to live with this beautiful lady and human being. Um, and she, she took me as, as foster, as a foster kid. So like, so she like, ne- she was getting paid by the state too. Um, so she ended up having, um, not only was she like my math teacher in junior high, but she was single and she had 15 horses, um, with irrigated pasture. So that's really where, where it started for me was I ended up finally getting a place into this house with this lady. Um, and I learned, animal husbandry techniques. I learned how to saddle and ride a horse, how to work a horse, how to train a horse, um, how to feed, feed them, irrigate pastures, actually like take care of the pastures too, which I mean, it's really hard to take care of pastures with horses. So I, I, I would love to help her now <laughs> with that. Right, situation. I know I'm like, but I don't also don't want to open that can of worms of telling her everything she's doing wrong. <laughs> but but I look, I really do appreciate her because she introduced me to, so where I'm from and in, uh, in the central Valley of California, we're 30 miles from the Sierra Nevada mountains. So she introduced me on horseback to the back country. So I like, that's where I found my love for the land. Um, she, she, um, she really did help me find something that was, I can be passionate about that wasn't just the violin, which she, she helped me with that too. But I always just, I always just never thought you could make a career out of being a musician, which I think I'm right. Like, I do still think I'm right about that. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you there. <laughs> yeah, but man, the people who have, are those really the kind of lives that you really want? <laughs> I know it's not. So I wanted, I wanted stability. And so my thing was, I, I wanted to finally go to college and make a life for myself. And and she really, she really did help me with that. She ended up getting married. And, um, and so I had always, so, so my friend Brianne, who I'd mentioned, I'd always wanted to really just live with her and her family because they have known me since I was eight years old and they've known everything I've gone through. And I just felt like they were the reason that, that like we finally called CPS. And like, I felt like they supported me because of me and not because of like what I offered them as a service. Because I think the lady, the horse lady who I lived with, she really did take me in to help her with her horses. Like that was her ulterior motive. Yes, it saved my life and I was used to working hard. So it wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal. But once she got married, I really think that like, I mean, she was also in her sixties. So I think she got remarried in her sixties. I really think that she just like did not want to have a child to take care of. And so we finally were like, Hey, like I'm about to age out of foster care anyways. Can I, can I just go live with Brianne and her family? And, um, and so we did. And, and, um, 
So I have a forever family, which I know is kind of like an animal, like a dog term term when you adopt a cat or a dog that's a stray. But I mean, I am a stray, so it's fine. I have a forever family that has been in my life since I was uh, like 17, 18. Well, since I was eight years old, but they I've been living with them right before I left for college. Um, so I'm I, like, my life is good. You know, I have a forever family. I have someone who to actually call with like adult advice. Um and then I have these sisters who are 100% supportive and, and, and capable. I, I do not have a really good relationship with any of my actual biological siblings. And I think it's just the product of, of what happened. So we all have talked about it and we're like, it just is what it is. Like we're, we're never going to be real, real siblings. And, and we do try, but we're not going to try where it makes us uncomfortable. So, um, yeah. So you, uh, you mentioned, college and yeah and yeah so how, how did you go from from the horse and in, in california yeah. situation and, and yeah and where did that go then towards college right so i i had also spent my summers in high school and college um working in king's canyon national park in the sierra nevada uh like so sequoia sequoia national park uh taking dudes out on these horse guided tours so that's like i i I did those every summer and then eventually um eventually I went away to college and I had to like decide like what do I want to do for college and I was like oh I'll do animal science like ma- like maybe livestock production um I never wanted to do equine stuff I think people get surprised by that but I just always thought there's no like there's no like stable jobs in those careers so I thought um cuz I had been asked to with the new church I was part of with the horses and stuff um there was a lot of ranchers and they were like, Oh, you know how to ride a horse. Why don't you come to our brandings and gatherings and like help us work cattle for the day. So I I do, I did, I get that little like cowboy cultural culture that came, came in spurts. And I was like, man, I love this. Like I love when you show up to these, these ranches and I felt welcome. Like I felt like they were so happy to have me there to help them. I get it. I was free labor and you know, there's the, a whole family culture that goes around that too. That's so different from almost it's anything It's so different. Else. Yes. And so that's like, when I do ranch visits, I like that feeling is, I think that's what got me hooked. It was like this feeling of like, even though we don't know you, you belong here because you have I value. I think that's that you what gets add. everybody hooked to like the yeah. small town ranch vibe community. I think that's what, what puts the hooks in most people. Right. Right. So, so I did those gatherings. Um, we did the weanings and stuff like that. And I remember like, you know, I've always, I've always wanted to go to college because I felt like it was my, my economic freedom ticket. Like, like if I truly want to be an independent person and depend on no one for my happiness, for me, the answer was college. Like I didn't have family. I didn't have any kind of assets. Um, College was my thing. And I also like, I didn't really have a trade either. Like, you know, I, I went to college um, in Northern California, Chico State. I actually ended up getting in early admission. And for me, I was just like, I said, this is a no brainer. I'm going, I can live there. I didn't have a car because I couldn't afford it. I can go there and I can ride my bike everywhere because it was a bike friendly campus. So I lived like only, I lived like two blocks from campus. Um, I biked everywhere. I biked to get my groceries. <laughs> I biked uh, like to go visit friends. And actually, you know, it's funny because when you're freshman year, like, what do they talk about? You do, you, you gain your freshman 15. 
Actually, right. I lost 15 pounds because I biked well, everywhere. I was going to say, it sounds like a lot more healthy lifestyle than my freshman year of college, which yeah. was like, see who's going to go pick up fast food when classes are over. Well, exactly. So, but the thing is, I was budgeting. So, I was like truly living on ham and cheese sandwiches. I I bought like the cheap chicken and like, and, and to be honest, vegetables are very cheap. Like, I don't think people realize that like you can cook a lot of vegetables and this doesn't cost a lot of money. So I buy by default because I didn't, I didn't, couldn't afford to go to the burgers and do that all the time. And I needed something that was going to actually like last, like sustain me. And so I would go to the grocery store. I love to cook too. Like that's also very therapeutic for me. So, um, I wasn't playing the violin any longer. So for me, I, I kind of focused that energy on the violin or not the violin on cooking. And, um, so one I've kind of, so I went to Chico state, which has a really great regenerative ag program, but they also just, you know, if anyone's like thinking about where to send their kids, or if you're, you're considering where to go to college, I really do think that Chico state solves a lot of these issues that we complain about on the podcast. Like I took, Okay, so this is what this is what I can do in the industry now, right? I can breed a cow, I can set up a breeding pro ca- protocol, I can calve out cows, I can decide what genetics are going to improve the herd. I can not only slaughter a cow, but I can butcher it up to all those primals and box it up and know what those scientific muscles are called and and how to cut them up into like ribeye steaks. Um, I also know how to work animals. I also know how to drive any type of tractor. Um, I ended up working at the university farm. So, so we learned how to drive an articulated loader. I could, I could feed, um, a mixed tub of, of, of total mixed ration, um, into bunks. Um, and I also, we had the pasture and the rangeland. So I, I understood pasture management and also rangeland management and, I think that's where I really excelled was when I would get out in those fields and take those measurements. And I would, I would, I would look at the, uh, the forage IDs and, and what, how it was contributing to, to our herd. I was really able to, for me, those connections were like such common sense. Like it was like, Oh yeah, like this is the cheapest form of feed. So why wouldn't we feed that to our cow? Right. Why would we go get corn that's expensive and do that? And so, that's really where that started. We also had an organic dairy. So I learned a lot about organic system planning, which really is like kind of the same principles as regenerative ag. Um, if you look at it, it's like really holistic planning. And um, so I, yeah, so I learned that we had to take like a mechanics class. We had to take a woodworking class. Like, so I learned like all of that electrical plumbing, uh, laying cement. And I mean, everything that, I think you learn either from your father, you know, I learned in my college education, which is like very unheard of. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. Like how long was the program that you were in? How long is it typically? So it's four years, but it ended up taking me longer. So I ended up, we ended up having a death. Um, so my forever brother ended up passing away after my second year of college and it kind of, it it broke me. (laughs) And I, I finally, I ended up like, taking a year off of school, coming back half time. Um, and then that's when I really started getting involved in college of ag and, and working towards, uh, being a lot, to be honest, I thought I was going to be in the feedlot system. Like I really thought there's feedlots in California that I think would hire me. And if that doesn't work either, I can be a nutritionist. Um, I'll just go to grad school and get 
my master's degree in, in nutrition and then do consulting that way. Uh, Cause there's also where I'm from ton of dairies, conventional dairies. And so they always need a nutritionist to improve their total mixed ration and find uh, cheaper outside feed sources. So like a lot of the things like they would feed uh, like coal oranges or just like almond holes was a huge thing that they fed. Um, so I thought, okay, I know how all of these things work. I know the crude protein. I know the total digestible nutrients in this thing. I can formulate a mixed ration. I'm going to do that. Well, uh, so I ended up, so I ended up thinking that that's what was going to happen, but it didn't. And I'm really thankful that I wasn't too controlling of me having to be in the feedlot system. Cause when I interned at a feedlot, I learned a lot and I'm really grateful for the connections that I, I got with the feedlot because they gave me some really good advice as far as being mentors, but it was like the lifestyle 60 to 90 hour work weeks. And it was just right like, there's, there's no mental health taken in account for. And there was like no work life balance. Like you when you're in the feedlot system, um, and I have girlfriends who are in it, and I'm really proud of them as being feedlot managers, but you know, there, there's not even enough time to sleep. Well, like you, you don't have time to do a full eight hour sleep if you want to have a life. And, and, um, and so that was for me, my emotional awareness was like, I don't like, I can't do that for 40 years. <laughs> there's no way <laughs> I can do that for a year. And that's probably it. Um, yeah. And so they offered me a job at the feed mill and I was like, you know, I really want to do management. Like, I don't want to be sitting on a desk and get fat. Like I literally said that I was like, I don't want a desk job. Like I don't, I don't want to be sedentary. Like I want to be out. And so, um, I ended up graduating and then Joel and I met in college. So we actually worked at the beef unit together. He was my boss. He was a herdsman. And it was so funny because when I met him, he had no idea what my background was. Like he, he knew I had done this internship with Harris ranch, which was a hundred thousand animal feedlot. And he was just like really impressed with me. Like he just thought, you know, CK is cool. And I was like, I love that. Like that's, that's sexy. Um, <laughs> and I remember like, yes, like I'm finally, I'm finally being valued by people who don't know my background. So they don't have this weird, here's this stray who's trying to make it in the, in the world. And so like, I feel like I, I just don't want to ever have that negative connotation associated with me that would hinder my success. Do, do you know what I'm saying? I do. Absolutely. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So, so for me, that was my <laughs> first, me getting the job at the beef unit after doing an internship at Harris ranch was like the first thing for me to get experience. Cause I was like, yeah, I know how to ride horses and I know how to work cattle, but it is very minimal. And to be honest, I wouldn't even feel comfortable putting it on my resume. The reason that I did get, I will say the reason I got that, that, that internship at Harris, which is like a very revered internship. There was actually six other guys who had applied for the same internship that summer. And I remember the reason that I, I even got considered is because I knew how to saddle a horse. Isn't that wow. funny? Yeah. What? And, and none of the other guys did or because you were a woman and you did? Well, I, I, I don't know, actually, I don't want to make any assumptions, but I think that they didn't like, I think that they didn't, I think it didn't have anything to do with me being a woman. Cause I think they would actually probably prefer a man because it's hard work. It's oh hard yeah, work. for sure. Yeah, um, and it's, it, it's, in, it, there's still an inclination to not consider a woman for a job like that because it might be Oh, absolutely. Hard. And, um, it's so funny cause the re so they actually, they made me saddle the horse, um, in front of like a group of students. 
So I was like getting interviewed with like this huge viewing audience. And I remember just like, I wasn't not, I wasn't even like hesitant about it because when I worked that summer job in Sequoia National Park, every day I had to saddle 40 horses and unsaddle them. So you understand how to be proficient at saddling horses for the whole summer. And I had done that for three summers at this time. And um, so I was like super, I got this. And so I remember like- yeah, but I also think like confidence was a huge thing in me getting that that internship. And I realized that like there's actually a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have gotten um, if I had not like almost like not faked my confidence because it was true, authentic confidence. But I do think like pe- like doing this interview, to be honest, I was like, I don't want to do this. Like I've been anxious about it all morning. I don't want to share this very, very crazy life that I had that doesn't represent who I am anymore, but, but I am grateful for who I am today because of it. And, um, I think it's really, it's really hard to fake confidence sometimes, (laughs) but I think you, we really need to try to do it because, um, it's just going to make you realize like when you try something new, it's, it's usually like you're, you're in your head why you hesitate. Right. And then once you do it, you're like, well, that was so easy. Why was I worried about it? You know, it usually feels great. I have a senior in high school. We've been taught, we went yeah. shopping yesterday and we actually talked a lot about this last night. Like sometimes you're going to go do things that are scary and yeah. they suck. I mean, they just plain suck. And, and really the, the, the thing that sucks is the thinking about it all day it, long. It is. That's the worst and part. And when you do it, then you're done and it feels so good. And not only is it done and you feel proud and, yeah. and it's off your chest or whatever yeah. and, and, and own it. Yeah. Like basically own it, whatever it is you're doing, even if it's scary. Yeah. So, um, so, so really, and if I can even like unpack that interview with, with Troy and I love Troy, he was actually mentored me towards what my career is now in doing, uh, working with people really. And, uh, Troy, like he came up with this gruff, I'm just feedlock cowboy. And I got to prove to you that this is going to be hard. I kind of want to scare you away from this. And I, I remember the only reason that he gave me the internship is because he is very particular about the way that he put back his saddle pad. And I noticed it. Um, he put it back up. Like, so it's like a lot of people will, so they'll put their saddle on the saddle horn, uh, to store it or, or whatever it's called the rack. Sorry. And then, and then they'll put their, the pad on top of the saddle because the way you, you, um, the way that you saddle a horse is you, you go and put the pad down, you align it, and then you throw the saddle down and you have to adjust the sat the, the pad under the saddle. So it sits on the horse's withers well, and then you tighten up the cinch. So, so what I did was I not only put the cinch back the way that he had it buckled originally, but I put the saddle pad the sweat side up so that the heat would evaporate off of it and it wouldn't cause like his saddle, the leather to like get ruined by like the moisture. And he was like, that's the reason I'm hiring you. And I just remember like, it's such, I was like, that's really ridiculous. So that's where you're hiring me. But now looking back on it, like, yeah, attention to detail is, is great. Like, yes, you know how to saddle the horse, but do you know how to put it away correctly? Like, are you paying attention to these little things? (laughs) <laughs> that that I have done intentionally for a reason yeah yeah it's important and it's something that, that not not many people do and it yeah. shows it shows your drive and desire to to want to do the job it, I mean it honestly it kind of shows confidence to to take a chance to do something that you weren't really asked to do 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I did that internship. I really did learn a lot. I learned a lot about people. I learned about actually like processing and like a large amount of cattle. Like there were days we, we processed like 1400, uh, you know, a 1400 head pen of, of cattle in one day, which it took us, uh, it took us an hour to do 120. So we would work like 12 hour days. And I remember wow. just working along these guys who oh, they busted their asses and they really did work hard. But that's when I knew I would get respect as well is as long as I could show up and work just as hard as them. Right. Like didn't come up, show up with an ego. I didn't come up as like this college educated person who, who, you know, I never saw them as not educated. I just was like, I don't, you guys know so much more than me and I want to learn from you guys. And they, they really did finally, when they broke down their barriers with me, they were like, we have so much respect because you're actually willing to shovel the, the manure with us out of the alleyway instead of just like watching us do it. Right. And I, I think that's huge too, for people who want to get involved, who are just like, Oh, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. And just, so I'll just watch. And it's like, no, you should get in there. Like if you, if they don't want you in there, they'll tell you, be like, we, we, we admire the hustle, but like, this isn't safe for you. So please don't be in here. Like they're always going to want you to work as hard as they are. Get in and get your boots dirty and don't yeah. be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And I remember I would ask them really like, now that I, now I know the answers, I'm like, Oh, I can't believe I asked that. But, um, uh, but it's like, they also were like, CK was new. She was like fresh and she, but she also had this like willingness to learn and, and to be honest, I ended up being really good with the crew. And, and like when I would write pins, I would like, um, so if you would learn how to pick out animals in the pen who are sick. And I, I, I remember that. So you look at their eyes, ears, nose, and toes, and sometimes bee holes. And, and then you would also look at their, their behavior, which, you know, I'm the master of behavior. <laughs> and so right. you would, so they would, they would isolate themselves from the herd their head would probably be be down and their ears will be down. You could tell they're sick. And then then we would know, okay, that animal's showing signs of sickness. Like let's sort them out and and take them to the hospital crew um, so that we can take their temperature and figure out what they need. And so I did learn, you know, in the feedlot situation, you learn all of those things. You learn how to process a new cow or, or steer. And then you also... <laughs> learn how to doctor them, how to work with people, how to, how to mix a ration. Um, and it really is this huge, like well-organized machine. Like it's very impressive what feedlots are able to do in a 90 to 120 day period to finish a like 800 pound animal to, to 1300 pounds. Like it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, and it's I know we be a well-oiled machine for sure. It, exactly. Like it cannot break also. So I do, I do think that it's, it was just for me, it was the perfect environment for me to learn a lot all at once. So, so then I got that confidence. I ended up going back to school. I had worked at a restaurant, Olive Garden for the last three years. And then my final year in college, I was like, I, I want to work at the beef unit. I want to work at the university farm so that I can put it on my resume so that I can get a big girl job and, and, and not, you know, be a server after I have my college degree. And so I worked at the beef unit. I learned everything about a seed stock operation, um, and sell, selling like bulls, uh, and then, you know, working with semen and, and, and breeding cows and doing, we also, so my title was, I was a research assistant. So we actually had some feed trials that we did with some spent distillers grains, um, where we were finishing low line cattle. So they're just like, 
midget cows. Right. <laughs> I hope midget I don't, cows, right? Yeah, I hope I don't offend anyone. So the Aberdeen cows, sorry, not the midget cows. Um, so we had these these low line genetics that we were trying to do some feed efficiency trials with these like grow safe bunks. And so I got to own that process. And for me, that was like so empowering that I could be part of the scientific uh, community and, and like, and use what I've known to like improve the, the beef industry. So like, it was like, yeah, we probably should use more moderate framed animals if we want them to finish sooner. Right. Um, which is what they're discovering, at least with the, the grass fed side is, um, we don't need these beast animals. We can, we can have both. There's room for everything. Right. Yeah. So I went on to do that. Uh, super excited about that. I was actually really sad when that ended. Like I remember crying so hard because I was just so happy about the experience and I wanted to keep it going. And then, so Joel and I were together. Um, we were just dating at the time and then we ended up moving to my hometown, California. I got a, I ended up getting a sales job at an animal health, uh, animal health company selling like drugs and stuff like that. And, I hated it. <laughs> I was like, oh man, this, I, I ended up like being inside cell. So I ended up being in a cubicle for nine hours a day. And I was like, this is not what I want. I want to be ranching. Like I want to be out helping ranchers to figure out better ways to improve their, their life. And, um, so I ended up quitting animal health international because it was a very toxic work environment. And they were like, CK is going to say yes to everything that we ask her of. So I'm going to give her three reps when we usually only give one rep one rep to work with. So I was doing the, the job of three people. Um, it was, it was hard. Like I was, I finally was like, I can't do anymore. And I had asked for help and you know me, if I ask for help, it means it's really bad because I'm usually can find out the answer for myself. And so when they told me like, we're not going to help you, I was like, well, peace out. Like if you're not going to help me, I'm not going to be here. And I know what that's like not getting help. And so I did, I quit. And I, I told him, I was like, I, I quit. I like, I can't, I'm not even gonna do my two weeks. Like, I don't care. I'm not going to put this on my resume anyways. Um, like this is, this is not a good job to, to recommend to anyone either. And, um, then I ended up being like a pistachio broker for a few months. Um, and I was like, whatever, I just need something that pays the bills because I was not going to do unemployment. I was like, I'm not doing that. Like I just need to do something. I was even willing to do serving again because it's really good, fast money. Um, and I was happy interacting with the people. So I was like, okay, I'll do, I'm going to, I got this pistachio broker job. So it was grower relations. So it was like, oh yeah, totally up CK's alley working with pistachio farmers. Um, and then, and then I end up getting recruited by pasture map by, from the founders. They're like, Hey, like, we know that you're a Chico state grad. We know that you have this background in pasture and rangeland management. And then we've also heard that you're really good with people. Can we hire you? And, and then I, I told Joel, cause they had just like, they sent a random emails. Like who the hell are these people at pasture? Wow. Mark? Yeah. And I, I remember telling Joel, should I do it? He's like, you, yeah, you're not, he's like, you don't want to be a pistachio broker. Like that is not your calling. And I started laughing and I was like, it's a remote job. Like, what is, what does that mean? And he's like, oh, I think it means you work from home. And I was you like, you don't have, have to go to work. And for me, it was mind blowing. Right. Well, now it's like, everyone knows what that's like, but for me, for, that was, you know, that was over four years ago because I was a contractor before they actually fully hired me on um, because they wanted to make sure that I was going to actually make them revenue. 
and which I would have done the same thing. Um, but I remember telling Joel, like, this is just so good, too good to be true. And he's like, babe, you've worked so hard for this. Like you deserve to like work for something that you're happy. He's like, I get to work with ranchers, like ranchers from all over the country. And, and it really has been such a blessing. And you know, it is, it is still a startup. There are times when you think the company is not going to make it like we need to change our trajectory. We need to focus on something else. But it's like, for me, I've learned what a healthy work culture looks like. And I want to share that with the world. Like I, I wake up in the morning and I'm so excited to like log into my computer and like, see what's going on, see what the ranchers need, see what my teammates need. And then also give feedback in like, like right now we're getting a lot of dairy customers and I'm like, Hey, like we don't really do a lot of dairy stuff. Like we don't do any components tracking. We don't do any somatic cell stuff. So like stuff that, that dairy people fits with their goals. And I'm like, if we have all these people signing up, we need to build it for them. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. So it's pretty exciting that I can see the writing on the wall and they believe me like. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be, to be working with a company that's that's small enough still to understand what's really growing it and the needs of the people is just yeah. awesome. And when you start talking about it, you kind of light up. That's not something that anybody on the podcast is going to see, but. You know, yeah. So I always like talk it down as like, oh yeah, I just work for, you know, we keep records. It's a record keeping software. But I think um, it's a very regenerative company. Like they not only do they take care of their employees, it, even the past team since, since we've been sold, um, the new team, it has the same values. Like that was the number one thing was like, Hey, like we had a great company culture. I want to keep that. Um, I, I moved to Texas thinking that they would want me to be in their office. They never did. And so I kind of probably shouldn't have moved to Texas, but I also just kind of needed that for, for my own peace of mind. Cause I could not do the Island any longer. Um, yeah. And, and then when I, I was, you know, I was like, Hey, we're moving to Kansas and then, and then we're moving to Idaho. You guys are okay with that. They're like, CK. Yeah. Like you, you help these ranchers. They're like, I would rather fire myself before I fire you. So it was like super, super exciting to hear that because I think there's a part of me where it's like, when are you guys going to decide to not want me? Like, can you just tell me? And you know, that's just my programming. So I have to unlearn that. I have to unlearn that. Like uh, what I'm doing is making an impact in the ranching industry. And, and to be honest, like with a new team, you know, they want to learn the new ropes and ins and out of the, the ranchers. And they want to like, they're like, why do ranchers pay for pasture map? And it was like, they pay for pasture map because we fit a need, but the reason that they stay is because we actually take care of them. Like with the relationships that we maintain with them. Like they're just, they're not just a paycheck. They're, they're, they're more than that. Like we're actually built to suit. Like when ranchers have needs, we'll build it for them. If they need to talk to me, we can talk. You can talk to, to the, our other teammates as well. Like we very much are in my mind, I think we're changing the way that companies work internally because we do have a mental health culture where th- that's important. Absolutely. I think you guys are changing not only the way a company is working internally, but to me, it seems like you're changing the way a company works for, for the people, for yeah. their clients. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, guys, you guys are providing a specific service. Okay. We're providing you with this software, but not just with the software. 
We're going to show you how to use it. We're going to help you use it efficiently. And if it's not going to work for you, we're going to change it so that it Yeah. Works. Yeah. And we're continually improving it. So it's really exciting to see that we're, we're invested in this in the long term um, because, you know, our mission statement for Pashmuf is, is making ranchers profit while building healthy grasslands. And I think making ranchers profit and building healthy grasslands are 100% what drives our decision making every day and it's it's really exciting because when i first like had to like think about that and like okay so when ranchers ask me this is my elevator pitch and now i'm like i truly believe in it like i truly 100 believe that ranchers are the cure to this climate resiliency they are the cure for these healthier families because uh, they value people in a different way than than i think People who aren't in the ranching industry don't value their their families and um and i also think that they understand the land a lot better than anyone else who's trying to solve these these issues absolutely yeah so that's i mean that's all i got i'm sitting here in kansas waiting to go to idaho to figure out joel's veterinary life and that'll be another chapter and probably a really fun one but also really hard one. Um, but I'm, I feel confident that we know what we're doing and if we don't, we know how to ask for help. That's yeah. awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like we've kind of yep. pushed the ticket on time already and we've got a lot of story out in a short amount of time. Okay. Um, do you have anything that you want to add that we haven't gone over? No, I think that's all I had. I appreciate the time that you've spent with me. I, I really, it was hard for me to share the story, even though I've been wanting to, because I, you know, I think one of the things is I don't want people to pity me. I want people to be like, okay, she's a survivor. I can survive too. And that's what I want the main takeaway from this story to be. Well, I really appreciate you sharing not only with me, but with everybody. I've said it once already, at least today, I think it's extremely brave to be vulnerable like this. And it's encouraging to other people to share their stories. Cause like right. I said, you know, we all, we all have our things and we all have our stories and we all have those moments where we think, am I scaring you with my right. story? Yes. But, but just simply your bravery and your willingness to share that with everybody is, is fantastic. And um, I can't thank you enough for, for letting me do this today. Awesome. Thank you, Tanya. Hey guys, Red Hills Rancher here editing after the fact. That was such an inspiring story. I'm really proud to know CK. She's a wonderful young lady, and I think she's doing great things for the community and for regenerative agriculture as a whole. We sure appreciate your support, and come back next Monday for another episode of Ranching Reboot. Riddles Rancher, out.